Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. Hi everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. We are up to round nine of the AFL season and we're here to prove it for you in full and forensic detail and talk about some of the big news going on as I say a very good morning to my footyology co-host Mr Rodney Eid. How are you Rocket? Very good Rowan, how are you mate? Going well? I'm, I'm well, I'm well. Uh, where, where are we at this season? Well we know logistically where we're at but uh, what sort of season is 2023 turning into do you think? Uh, I think it's a pretty even comp. I think except for the bottom three at this stage um, who can surprise every now and then. I think really it's, it's pretty even that Teams 12 or 13 right up to Team 1 can really beat each other on any particular day, as given by they didn't win, but the Suns last week against Melbourne at a five-point game. So none of these teams would want to take any game for granted because there'll be some, some surprises. and teams. So you can see it being really even up right up until the end of the year. Well, it's uh, they'll need to get a wriggle on some of them, including the team you coached to a grand final, of course, because they are struggling now in 11th spot. And I dug, dug out an old favourite of mine called the Round 7 Rule uh, last night. And uh, basically, the rule of thumb is if after Round 7 you're not in the 8, you're unlikely to get there by the end. I think on average there's fewer than two changes to the 8 after Round 7 of a season. And uh, I just had a quick look at it. I reckon um, the probably the most vulnerable team in the 8 is Carlton. And I look outside the eight. The only one that strikes me is, oh, gee, they're, they're uh, below the odds here. They're, they should be going a lot better than that, is the Swans. So I, I can see the eight pretty much locked in, apart from maybe one change. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um, but some of those in the in the eight as well, that Port Adelaide, Western Bulldogs, have a tendency at times to be inconsistent. And yeah, can go do. on can can go on losing patches, so they'd uh, uh, so they'd want to keep the consistency up, and it's going to depend on the draw as well, the fixture. I know, we, you know, you can say that about every year, but I know the Bulldogs have had a really tough opening, and from the last couple of weeks to the next four or five, it it has opened up for them a bit, so that that helps them. Depends who you play twice, who's going to get it at the end. But I think the Crows, the way they're going at the moment, is one team that could probably push as well. So they've, they're certainly playing well. They have a look at the Swans. Two of their three games were really in the year against the Suns and I can't remember who else they beat reasonably easily, but they haven't beaten anyone of note. Mm. So uh, their form generally is um, is really questionable. Yep. No, alarm bells starting to ring for John Longmire and co, you'd suspect. All right, a uh, lot to get through today. Let's get into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, we need to start our news uh, analysis segment with uh, the latest instalment of, uh, well, Boogate, I guess we call it, Rocket. Uh, <laughs> booing at the footy. Gee, it's been discussed a lot in the last couple of years, of course, with Jason Horn Francis. And now the latest uh, addition to uh, the storyline, and I was at this game, and I must say I was perplexed as a lot of people, was the sudden uh, booing of Buddy Franklin. Now, uh, that has led to Collingwood coming out with a, a public apology and uh, urging their supporters to be, uh, let's say, a little more gracious 
Uh, Sydney's expressed its um, concern about what happened. The AFL's put out a statement. Uh, there's been the inevitable backlash against that by you know other people in the football public saying, oh, I can boo who I like. And, of course, because Buddy is Indigenous, there's been uh, the question thrown up about whether there's a racist element to it. And, of course, that inevitably brings back the uh, sad and sorry Adam Goods saga. So, as you'd imagine, Rocket, I've been caught up right in the middle of the social media jousting. Um, but, look, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my take uh, in a minute, but how do you see the whole thing about booing? Is it justified? What do you make of the Buddy Franklin stuff? Where? What are your thoughts? Well, I was at the game on Sunday, and I was sitting out in weather because of my one deaf ear. I didn't hear, I didn't hear it to be over excessive. You, know, you, you hear it, but... It, I took it as a time as um, I thought it was a bit more of a raspberry because he was having a bad game and took the bounce, uh, dropped a mark, took the bounce and it, and it stayed on the ground and, you know, he wasn't having the best of days. I thought it was more uh, a champion that has taunted Collingwood in the past and he's having a bad day and they're just letting him know, well, this is the comeuppance, you know, you've had a bad day against us. So um, people, you know, so it's a boom. I mean, I mean, you don't want to take that out of the out of the game. People pay their money. I understand that. As long as there's no racist overtone with it, like Horn Francis being booed, Tom Stewart's going to get booed this week. Toby Green gets booed consistently, especially against Bulldog supporters. Um, so I, I I didn't take it as a racial overtone because I took it as the Collingwood is their one. I took it even a bit more than what the media saying. I thought he's having a bad day, and this is the Collingwood supporters to to taunt him a bit because he has taunted them in the past and it's, uh, it's probably the last time they've seen him. No, I, that's what I ended up thinking too and and a bit of that whole um, tall poppy syndrome, you know, he's yeah. a guy who's always yeah. been lauded and he's he's yeah. a celebrity and whatever. So th- th- we, we do have a, a healthy or unhealthy share of the tall poppy syndrome in this country, I think. But, yeah, I'm, I'm like you and and uh, I, I did get a bit shirty with people on um, – social media sort of having a go at me for saying it wasn't racist because, uh, you know, I've been pretty red hot on things like the Adam Good saga and as have a lot of my colleagues, I should say. And uh, I, I just didn't think that this one was racially motivated, but it's very sensitive ground. And I, I do understand the, the sensitivity of Collingwood. Can, can you understand Collingwood uh, and the apology given the, I guess, um, the damage of the Nicky Winbar thing back in 1993 and the fact that they apologised to him and had a very public ceremony about that just a month back or so. Yeah, and I think they do better report as well, all lumped into one that Collingwood don't be, want to be seen to, no, I don't know what condoning, condoning booing if it is if it is an Indigenous player. So I think you know, I can understand the, the stance they've taken. But I, I just genuinely, I mean, they've never... Booed Franklin in the past because he's played really well against them. So, yeah. oh, oh, I, I just uh, no, I was not, not shocked, but I thought, oh, no, no, actually, where's this coming from? Why well, they need to do that? And I thought, oh well, he's just he's he's having a bad game, and it's it's their way of letting him know. So, um, I, I certainly don't think it was racially motivated. And I guess the thing with the clubs and the AFL too, they're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't. Oh, that's right, yeah. In, you know, asking people not to boo. It's like um, the analogy I thought of was, uh, you know, it's like you're, you're in the kitchen as a little kid with your mum and she says, don't touch the hot plate. 
sunny gym and it's sort of like a red rag to a ball. Yeah, that's right. it? They're going to touch it. Yeah, that's right. And I think a lot of supporters are going to say, well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm paying whatever I pay to get into the footy with 30, 40 bucks. Well, I can do what I like within the law. Um, so expressing my opinion like that, that's that's what they'll do. So, which is what ended up happening with Adam Goods uh, back yeah. then as well. I'm not, and again, I, I hasten to add, uh, you know, it was for me uh, the origins of that were very much racist. But you know, it ended up getting a lot of sheep sort of following, them, but, but yeah. not even knowing why they were booing. So anyway, it's pretty immature stuff. Let's be honest. All right, let's move on. Um, I wanted to talk about, I wrote a column for ESPN about this and footyology about uh, conversion. And again, it was off the back of that uh, Sydney Collingwood game because the Swans kicked it. They actually, I thought, handled the game plan pretty well, but they kicked themselves out of any chance of winning it with 6-12 and just missed some shockers from in front. Uh, We talk about this a bit and there's not often a lot of concrete evidence, but uh, Champion Data recently came up with some really interesting stats about this, and I'll just encapsulate some of them for for you. 2019 was the all-time low for goal-kicking accuracy. Conversion in 2019 was going at just 51.8%, so just over one of every two shots taken. That is not overall. That is from the corridor, so even the easy shots. Um, the thing that really throws me with that, though, is that the equivalent figure back in 2010, so now, what, 13 years ago, but then about a decade previously, was 62.8%. So that's how big a drop-off they'd been. And then set shots, pretty similar. Uh, by Well, today, set shot conversion is at 54%. In 2010, it was 60.2%. Now, we talk about elements like fatigue, you know, forwards cover a lot more territory, pressure, shots being taken from wider because of better defensive systems. But I don't know. I don't think it accounts for that bigger drop-off. What do you think's going on? I agree. I was a bit, as I said, the game on the weekend. Most of those shots that Sydney had were very gettable. Some, most of them were within the corridor or at a 45-degree angle. Um, and... I, I couldn't believe, you know, Papley won, Hayward won, Aaron Francis, Heaney, Heaney had a couple. One of them didn't even make a distance. Like, mm. it was really poor. Um, you have a look at Adelaide. They cost themselves against Collingwood with their with their goal kicking. Carlton kicked 9.20 the other week. I mean, it, it is across the board. I really believe, and I look at Harry Mackay, and I know he doesn't want for Vola to help him, which is really, I'm going to say childish, but it's crazy. You take all the assistance you can get from Polo as a great kick. Um, I don't think they have a have a set routine. Harry Mackay changes his his run up and the way he's going to kick it. He he's confused whether he's going to kick it across his body, whether he's going to kick a drop punt. Um, so to me, looks like there's not enough time spent. Clubs and individuals of having a set routine of being able to kick a goal. It's the money kick. It's like a putting in, in golf, and not enough. Uh, I know they value it, but I don't think they value enough in training to have a set shot, have a set routine. And I've okay. seen too many times the same players changing their routine coming in to kick for goal. Well, I want to ask you about this because every time I write about this or talk about this, I mention it. And I think I've been talking about this for 10 years. Surely this still can't be happening. And that is the thing about players actually complaining about not being given enough time to practice their goal kicking by the fitness guys at training. 
Why is that still happening and why is it still happening? Well, I don't know if that's still happening. I, I remember when I was coaching, that was brought up by certain media, and I said, well, I don't agree with that. And if my fitness guy was going to say that, I'd overrule him because um, you're actually then training your leg to cope with the cope with the load. It's like bowlers going to the nets. I mean, the more they bowl, the more their body's going to be. Now, obviously, there's a fatigue factor at certain times, but it's what they're paid to do. I, I know, I think certainly since maybe 2010, even before that, there's less focus on a full forward. So when Lockett was playing Dunstall Fane, they would kick 25 to 30% of your goals. So that was their job. They didn't really move far from that. There's not many full forwards now. Hawkins is probably it, but Hawkins goes up to the middle of the ring, out to the wing now. He's a bit fitter. Rewalt pushes up. They're not having as many set shots as the Lockets and Dunstalls who are kicking most of the goals. So there's more of a spread. But it's still the same as saying, oh, more midfielders kicking goals. We'll, we'll practice it. Practice kicking their goals. And don't. Uh, and I also think, too, they practice their trick shots and they kick around corners, and they kick their dribbles, and they kick their left footers around their body, and they kick them. Mm. To me, they're practicing that. They're not practicing the money kick where they're from 30 meters out, 45 degree goal. You can you can really tell they're not confident about this. They're not confident about kicking. I reckon it depends on trying too far the other way. And some guys are even trying to kick across their body from 40 meters out. Uh, like it's uh, a like it's a long kick to be able to control that. And I think I think the coaches need to take more control and uh even having a specialist goal kicking coach to come in and be able to work with the player and work with their routine, film them, whatever. This is your routine. This is what you go through. This is what you do, no matter what Matthew Lloyd was even under Marvel, he's throwing the grass up. But that was part of his routine. It wasn't mm. so much about the win. It was him being able to have a set routine when he's going to kick a goal. And he was a great kick for goal. What's that old line? I'm not a great golfer, but that line, you know, driving for show, putting for dough. That's yeah, the that's expression, right. isn't it? That's right. Also, just quickly on the, and this is a bit of a hobby horse, but the snap around the body versus the drop punt. Now, I'll put my hand up here. I played school footy. I was no great shakes, but I, I, I was an accurate kick. And uh, the drop punt is, I think you've got a reasonable margin for error kicking your drop punt. And when guys say to me, oh, it, it's, there's less margin for error kicking around corners, there's more of the ball to hit, I'm not sure I buy that. What do you think? I think around the corner, um, on a real angle, is a good kick. It does open it up. It's interesting, guys who are really bad kicks, playing with them, playing with them, when they would actually, in, a, in general play, they would have to kick around their body, they would kick it really well because there's more chance of hitting the ball on the end Mm. Uh, rather than a drop punt. There's so I reckon there's more room for error with a drop punt because of where you're hitting hit at the fact the ball, you don't drop it correctly. Um but I think even if they're gonna if they're gonna kick around their body, practice it. Don't, just don't go up, oh what am I gonna do? I'm gonna do a drop punt. And I think there's a certain distance cut off with each player that within 25, 30 meters, it's but outside that, some players are but there's guys within a 45 degree Range, so your corridor, it was still kicking around their body. Yeah, the so they're the ones you've got to go. No, nah, this is what I'm doing. Have a that's the ones I'm talking about. Have a routine, kick a drop punt, and I'm going to kick a goal. Oh, no, that's where I'm getting at. You shouldn't yeah, be yeah. kicking around the corner when you're, when you're pretty much in that central corridor. No, that's right. Um, and just one last point on this, just to uh, Ken Hinckley brought this up, and Port have been involved in five games this season, decided by 14 points or less. 
Um, and I think they've won all of them. Um, but you'd think that sort of fortune's going to run out at some at some stage. And the, they were a good example too on the weekend because they started dominating Essendon after quarter time, yet couldn't put that dominance on the scoreboard, kept kicking points. Um, I think Hinkley brought this up. We've had 72 games now this season, 40, more than 40%. So getting up to around half of those games have been decided by three goals or less. So you can't tell me the conversion isn't even more important than it's ever been at any time in the game's history. Oh, I totally agree. I reckon the most important kick is for goal, and the second most important kick is going inside 50. And if you don't practice it, like everyone practices now, that little dinky 30-metre kick to the 45-degree, everyone does that. Mm. But it's being able to convert. If you have 20 shots at goal and you can kick 14-6, um, it's so much better than kicking... Yeah, you six know, fourteen. What some teams are doing and missing games, it's no doubt, and well, probably yeah. there's no. Yeah, you've got to you take it. They always say, "Oh, scoreboard pressure." Well, scoreboard pressure is actually kicking goals. So, I think there's not enough attention paid to it. Uh, they value it in hindsight after a game. I would have lost it because they don't value it enough going into a game. Or well, eight of eighteen sides in round eight kicked as many or more behinds than goals. And I guess the one that really stood out in that uh, in that context was the one played in the most pristine conditions under the closed roof, in which uh, not only did we get arguably the worst game of all time, but those two sides, North Melbourne and St Kilda, combined for 12-26. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, did you actually just quickly? Did you play? I'm pretty sure Hawthorne played a game in about '77 where they kicked 41 behinds against someone. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, uh, jeez. <laughs> just oh, just the, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I reckon 1977 Hawthorne, it was a huge score, but they actually kicked 41 behinds. Anyway, uh, it's not getting better. And we talk about the game improving in terms of skill and most things in the game improving, but this one certainly doesn't. So uh, let's see if clubs end up making or missing out on finals because of their uh, accurate or otherwise kicking. Be interesting to keep an eye on it. All right, that is enough for news this week. Uh, big round coming up. Let's preview it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round nine kicks off Friday evening with a Friday night double header. Of course, Mother's Day on Sunday and uh, fewer games on Sunday, so we'll get to those shortly. But two games on Friday night, the first of which uh, could be a really good game. It's certainly an important game. It is Richmond taking on Geelong, 7.20pm at the MCG. And, uh, well, it's probably a bigger game for Richmond because they are in a world of trouble. 15th on the ladder, two wins now. Uh, clocked up their second win last weekend, but uh, five losses and the draw. They, of course, beat West Coast by 46 points, as they should. Uh, Geelong are sixth at 5-3 now having won their last five games after dropping the first three, they had, uh, well, in the end, a reasonably uh, efficient win over Adelaide at home by 26 points. Uh, now, the Cats, um, they were struggling against the Tigers. They'd lost six out of seven against Richmond, including, of course, the 2020 grand final. But they've now won the last three against Richmond, including a big game last year and a, a narrow win, three points in round 15 last year. And that, of course, we mentioned the Tom Stewart incident. That was uh, him clocking Dion Prestia. Got four weeks for that. So no love lost, perhaps, when these two meet up again. Richmond at the MCG, well, they 
did make it a fortress for a long time, but uh, Saturday's win over the Eagles was their first win at the G in five games this year. It's a long in contrast, which a few years back was struggling at the G itself. They've now won 15 of 19 games on the ground since 2020. Uh, fairly extensive injury list for both sides, which are definitely a factor in this game. But what are, what are your initial thoughts on this one? Uh, the initial thoughts is that uh, that the Cats should win. I know there's injuries on both uh, both teams, and uh, but just with Hawkins and and Cameron, really, it's just I know Dangerfield's out, but um, and now Close has been suspended. But uh, now they're now they're in good form. They, now they're playing well. I thought Adelaide were quite good against them last week, to be honest. But Stewart's patrolling their defence. I know he'll get booed at the weekend. Uh, but Nan Curvis out in the in the in the ruck. I, I just I just can't see them and Lynch out. I just can't see them kicking enough goals. I, I mean they did what they had to do last week, but West Coast are poor, um, and I I really can't see them troubling the Cats, to be honest. All right, well, let's uh, talk about the injuries. Now, there's the the, uh, the troops are starting to to filter back, but still some major injuries there. Now, when I'm talking about them filtering back, Josh Gibkiss, pretty young player, but he is already quite important to them. He um, is set to play in the VFL this week after hamstring surgery. That'll be his first game for the year. Uh, Ivan Soldo, he's got to get through training. Nankervis getting closer to coming back from an ankle injury, but still at least a week away. Uh, Morris Rioli Jr., who I keep talking about, he's important to them, probably still a couple away. And Tom Lynch, the biggest one of all, uh, out of his moon boot now, but still, quote, a while away, unquote. Uh, And the figure they're putting on that is anywhere between six to 11 weeks. That's a pretty fluid uh, time frame there. Yeah, I think it depends where the broken foot is. When you start get back, so he'll need to get a fitness base because he lost all his fitness. He won't done much really, um, and then it depends how the foot reacts. So sometimes the foot can get pain again, and you've got to go back. So it's a bit of a backward forward situation. So if it if it trajects in the right way and he has no hiccups, he'll be six weeks, but it could be a bit longer, obviously. Now, uh, someone during the week uh, had a little chip at me for not. Um playing due uh, regard to Geelong's injury list. And just having a look at it now, um, gee, there's some significant names on it, and it, it's a testimony to their depth these days, I guess. But you mentioned Dangerfield. Of course, that's the big one. Uh, they're just saying short-term is the official description on his, but you think, you'd think think probably, well, at least two and, and probably more likely three. Uh, De Koning could be available. He had uh, facial and nasal surgery last week, but still got to prove his fitness. Uh, Jack Bowes and Gary Rowan are still missing this week with uh, calf injuries for them, or sorry, calf injury for Bowes, hamstring for Rowan, uh, both uh, against Essendon in round seven. So still a couple of weeks at least for those two. Brad Close suspended, as you said. Reece Stanley, that eye socket injury, he's still uh, waiting to come back. And Tyson Stengel with the broken arm. Uh, what Jack about Cam Guthrie? What about Cam uh, Guthrie? Uh, Cam Guthrie actually isn't on this list. Um, yeah, he didn't play last week. Hasn't played the last couple of weeks. So no, that's interesting, it. isn't it? And yeah. uh, he's sort of Jack. been struggling a bit this season, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And the Jack Henry, you, you were going. Yeah, to Jack. Say. I was about to mention Jack Henry foot injury, and they've still got medium term for him. And the other one, almost a forgotten man, Sam Menegola, knee injury, medium term for him. So some yeah. 
decent quality names on that list. Yeah. Well, I think last week some I'd read somewhere that there was eight or nine players who didn't play in the grand final uh, played last week. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you know they've done their list really well. That you know never looked a player. Simpson's going well. So the players are coming in. So obviously, the way that they've been able to work their list is give these guys enough time in the VFL and develop them. So when they come in, they can have an impact. Or I play, think what, play what, would you. One thing I've noticed, I think we were talking earlier in the season about some of the younger guys were struggling. Uh, I think they've really lifted. I mean, my boy Maxi Holmes uh, played a really good game against the Crows. So he's lifted. I think you mentioned Nevitt. Um, a couple of those younger guys are, are starting to pick up the pace a bit. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, I think uh, across the board they've been consistent. But you know, when you've got two, you know, you've got two gun forwards, um, as well, and you've got Stewart at the back end. I thought Segler did really well, well last week. Um, you know, playing against Riley O'Brien, who's a really good ruckman, a lot bigger. I, I think they would have been happy with Segler's performance. So they haven't missed Stanley through that. So Segler needs to back that up again this week. And he should be able to do something without Nankervis in the in the team. So it puts pressure on uh, Stanley getting back in the team. But uh, no, they they got players to be able to come in. Bruin did well last week, kicked a couple of nice goals. Um, so they, um, I think they're tracking along really well. They they wouldn't be stressed about only winning the game by two or three goals last week. Um, you know the you know the Crows were really nipping at the heels the whole time, but they got the win um, and they move on to next week. And I think they should win this game okay easily as well. They're great at pacing themselves, the Cats, aren't they? How many times have you seen them sort of destroy a side with one or two quality quarters, and then they just sort of just uh, control. Well, I was going to say take the. It's not even taking the foot off the pedal. It's cruise control, isn't it? It's just sort of putting the foot down for five minutes when when someone nips at their heels. It's a yeah. it's a good ability to have if you want to get through to the end of a season and still have you know enough uh, gas left in the tank, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's no doubt. And I think they're giving the other thing about. I know they've had injuries this time, but last year resting players, rested Selwood, and they rested Dangerfield was giving games into the next tier of players. Mm. So if they did. Rec- require them in the finals. They've had enough games on the belt. They're not taking an inexperienced player in. So I think they're doing it really well. All right. Let's get a tip and a margin from you. I think Geelong by 27 points. Okay. We're going to have one of these weeks again because I just wrote down then Geelong by 26 points. <laughs> Great minds thinking alike. As How many did you pick last week? What's that? How many did you pick last week? Eight, did you? Oh, so, gee, I'll, I'll have to have a look. I've got nine. Get... I've got nine. You got the full nine, did you? Yeah, I've got a seven, two eights and a nine the last four weeks. So. Oh, geez, on a roll. I'll have to lift my I know name. you picked the Bombers last week. I picked Port. It was only a five-point game. So. No, I did. I tipped Port. I did, oh, did tip you? Port. Oh, okay. I, I got a couple wrong. I'll, I'll work it out in a second and report back to you very shortly. <laughs> All right, second game on Friday evening. Let's chat about that. Hey guys, if you like the Footyology podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney Ede, you'll like the ESPN Footy podcast with myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all the big storylines in the AFL. Okay, well just before we do the second game, the Footyology statisticians or tipping team have... uh, uh, done uh, dug up the numbers on last week's tips and uh, reported back to the office rocket. In answer to your query, I got eight last week, and you well tipped the full card. But yeah, yeah, you're gaining ground on me. You're two tips ahead of me now, so 
I have to pull something out of my you know what <laughs> over the remainder of the season because I'm a very conservative tipster. That's funny. I'm far from conservative about anything else in my life except tipping for some reason. Anyway, let's talk about game two on Friday evening. It's in Perth and it's at 8:40 p.m. Might be a few people in bed before this one finishes. 8:40 on the Eastern Seaboard. Probably of before course. it starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, you that old. Uh, Optus Stadium is the venue, and it's the uh, the clash of the coasters, West Coast up against Gold Coast. Um, tough times for West Coast. They're 7-8 with a 1-7 record, 46-point loss to Richmond last week. Uh, Gold Coast, well, they've been a lot better last few weeks, 14th on the ladder, 3-5, and five, and oh so close to knocking off Melbourne. They lost that game by just five points. Might have been a bit stiff too. Um, the Suns have won three of their last four games against West Coast. Overall, West Coast has the edge, as you'd expect. Ten wins to the Eagles, four to Gold Coast, and one draw. Gold Coast record at Optus Stadium, pretty miserable. It's one and five, and their first win came only last year when they beat the Eagles. An injury-depleted Eagles, as per usual, uh, round one. Now, just I'll, I'll get this out of the way before I throw to you, Rocket. 17 players on the West Coast injury list this week. And oh, why not? I'm going to do this every week. I'll just read the names. Bazo, Bergeel, Cole, Cripps, Cully, Edwards, Hewitt, Howe, Long, McGovern, Nat Nui, Petrovsky, Seaton. That's just one player, not two. Ryan, Shuey. Williams, Winder, and Yo. How's that? Cully, of course, uh, very stiff to have done his knee. He's out for the season now. But all those usual names. Cripps, still 11 to 13 weeks. McGovern, Hamstring, 6 to 7. Nat Nui, Achilles, 6 to 7. That's been 6 to 7 years, hasn't it? Not weeks. Yeah, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, And Gold Coast, well, they're in contrast. Their injury was pretty short. Significant, though, took Miller the knee injury. Uh, it's a good chance, I guess, this while he's out for them to show that uh, they do actually have a bit of depth because that's one area about them. I'm a bit sus. Um, how do you reckon the Suns are tracking? Well, they played very well last week. Um, obviously, I'm probably a little bit stiff not to win it. And um, I think uh, with Melbourne's midfield uh, and without Miller, they did exceptionally well. You know, Rao took it to Petraka. Anderson had a great game. Um so there's Will, Will Powell uh, had a good game. So they're so they're you know they're increasing their depth through there. I think um, uh, I think their most important player is Wits. He's not their best player, but Wits was out for those two weeks and they lost those two games reasonably comfortably. I think him back in the side as a leader. He took you know he stood up to Grundy and Gorn last week. Um, I I can't see the West Coast getting getting anywhere near them this week. To be honest, I think even at home, I think the Suns. Form's okay. They, I don't think they'll make the eight, but I think uh, they're actually tracking okay, and I can see them winning this game easy. Well, uh, just talk Gold Coast, Coast injuries quickly. So I mentioned Miller. Uh, setback for Lockie Weller this week. Um, he will miss a second straight game. He's have, having, having sorry, lingering pain in his reconstructed knee. Uh, ben Ainsworth has a cork thigh and is somewhat doubtful uh, to take this road trip. And Nick Holman, uh, confirmation that he has turf toe is the quote. Uh, still that's on a, a painful moment. injury. That's yeah. A painful, yeah, that's a painful injury. What that, actually is it? 
it's when you stub your toe and the joint in your toe, you do the ligament in the in the in the joint of your toe. And I've known some players miss six or eight weeks. So okay. you just can't put any weight on it. Um, because obviously your toe you're you're stretching it as you as you're taking off and your your joint has got the ligament damage and then you just can't you just can't run. So Well, they are saying he's still a chance to play, but I'm looking at those Gold Coast injuries. Ainsworth, Butterick. Holman, Miller, Weller, um, they're significant outs in terms uh, of the Suns' depth or, or lack of. Tell you what, I'm, I'm half tempted to have a, a nibble on the Eagles here, but uh, you seem pretty confident uh, the Suns are going to win well. Yeah, I am. I, I think the Eagles will probably start well at home and then, and then fall on a hole like they have. They'll just make too many mistakes, too many turnovers. Uh, I think the Suns will win this quite, quite comfortably, to be honest. All right, well, give us a uh, margin then. 33 points. 33. All right. Gee, part of me wants to... Uh, Go on then. Don't be conservative. Come on. No, you know what? Back your intuition. All right. I will. Okay. I'll myself. <laughs> won't be the first time I make an idiot of myself. Uh, I am going to go for West Coast here, but by the narrowest of no it's not even the narrowest of margins because i have to i don't know if people have noticed this but i always tip even numbered margins and my uh co-hosts and there's been three of them now always are saddled with odd numbers so i don't know congratulations to people that have actually noticed such ridiculously trivial detail but i'm going for west coast to win god knows why i need the tip by two points all right that's friday night let's move on to saturday the SCG, Saturday afternoon, 1.45, sees Sydney taking on Fremantle and the Swans. We were talking about them earlier in a world of pain at the moment, 11th on the ladder, just three wins and five losses after that 29-point defeat at the hands of Collingwood. Fremantle being similarly uninspiring and are similarly placed at 3-5, uh, but they at least have a bit of winning form to uh, come off the back of after a... Uh, pretty decent uh, and certainly big win over Hawthorne at home last week by 69 points. This is another one of those uh, they hardly ever play each other matchups, Rocket. Uh, Sydney and Fremantle have only played each other eight times in the last seven years. So uh, only one year in that time they've played twice for the season. The scoreline in those clashes is Sydney five wins and the Dockers three. Uh, and Frio's record at the SCG is pretty miserable too. They've only ever won there four times. They've drawn once and they've lost 13 times. Their last win there was all the way back in 2011. That is so long ago in Fremantle history that their coach was. Can you name it? Uh, Harvey or Connolly? Mark Harvey. Chris Connolly even further back. But uh, <laughs> no, that was the, the Mark Harvey era. Um, all right, Sydney, uh, in a world of pain still from injuries, literally, I guess. Um, well, we know they're in trouble. Uh, were you did you warm to Fremantle anymore as a result of that big win over the Hawks, or was that fairly was that a, another flat track bully effort? Do you think? No, no, I warmed to a bit. I think I didn't realize Brace should have been carrying a knee injury, so um, his form was down early in the year and he, he exploded back to his best form, so that's going to be a boost for him because he's a terrific player. Him and Sarong in the midfield. Um, just Jackson obviously played his best game. So the signs are there that their so-called better players are actually on the on the rise. So that uh, so that should give them a lot of confidence. 
to me, whoever loses this game might certainly won't make the finals. It's, uh, I know it's a big call this far out, but it just make it's too it's too big a uh, bridge to climb. I I just uh, I'm leaning towards hometown. I'm leaning towards Sydney. That they they did pretty well last week. Just just couldn't convert. Um, I know they're missing ramp. is a big loss for them, but uh, I think they can get the job done. I guess the other big plus of Freo too is Nat Fife um, just simply getting through a game and uh, reportedly has pulled up well from that. So uh, hopefully, fingers crossed for them, he's back in the mix on a permanent basis. Lockie, Shot, Lockie Schultz, uh, the other one who is important to them, and he pulled up pretty well from the game against Hawthorne as well. Uh, Matt Taverner, the well, he's not forgotten man yet, but uh, he's out. I, I, I was actually looking like we may not see him again this season with a pretty serious back injury, and he's had surgery on that. Let's just run through the Sydney injury crisis and where that's at. So Joel Amati still five weeks away at least with a hamstring. Uh, Peter Adams injured his shoulder slash neck um, and faces a test. They can't take a trick with their big men. Paddy McCartan obviously still indefinite with concussion. Dane Rampey's neck injury, that's a really serious one. He's still at least five weeks away. Sam Reed, the perpetual hamstring for Reed, he's at least five weeks away. Um, the other one, Sam Wick's shoulder injury, uh, he's having a test. On the upside, uh, Tom Hickey finally ready for senior footy again after two games back in the VFL. So he'd have to come in, that's a certainty. Uh, the other one who probably you think will come back is Lewis Millican, who has had one game back in the VFL. Uh, he's coming back from an adductor injury. But really, anyone with any sort of height or strength at all, it's all hands on deck for them, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, I think you now the Tom McCartan played last week. Um, so he gives them a little bit of height. If they can put another tool, that allows Blakey and uh, these other players to play a bit more of a an attacking roll-off halfback um, where the Mills goes there as well. But the one they need to lift from, and he escapes, and we've spoke about it pre-season, is Isaac Heaney. And we mm. talk about him as um, a superstar. and he, he is so inconsistent and just doesn't deliver for them. He he needs to stand up. He needs to do what Callum Mills has done for, for 18 months now. He's been a consistent, good player, not just every now and then and a bit showy here and there. He needs to be able to... Take this team on the on the on his shoulders and actually carry them forward. Now they no, they need him to stand up. Um, Warner's done that. Uh, Mills has done it. Some other players have really stepped up. But I think Heaney really needs to step up. And he, whether they need to play him in the midfield, he started on a wing last week and then went forward. But he didn't he didn't offer a yelp last week either. Had a couple of chances of a goal and didn't score. So he's the one that's been just disappointing for me. And now I think about it, they're sort of, um, you know, we're not used to them being this fragile, particularly psychologically, are we? And it seems to tally with the absence of uh, Josh Kennedy, you know, when he got injured and then no longer became, well, you know, was less of a crucial part of that team. But he was one guy who really kept them honest, you know, and uh, Luke Parker maybe. Another yeah, Luke one. Parker does as well. He's he's certainly tough. And I think Mills has taken that role as well. But they've got to be able to score, and mm. um, which hasn't been a problem in the past. I mean, Franklin, Jeff Buck, maybe. No, he took that bounce ball. But if he'd kicked that, that ball from 70 out on the weekend, it would have skidded through. There was yeah. no one in front of him. So he had another shot at goal. So he's still 
they're giving chances, but he's not the player he was. He's, and obviously, he's never going to be. But he he is not the danger of a player anymore. But uh, they need to be able to kick some goals. Now, I think with their midfield um, and their ability to run off half-back and playing at home, I think they can win a close one. Well, the only saving grace for them in terms of scoring at the moment is their opponent has had even more trouble scoring. So um, I hope this one doesn't end up three goals to two or something like that. <laughs> could be could be a bit of a slog. I am going for the Swans too for the same reasons you just articulated so well. Margin-wise, uh, I'm seeing this one around the sub-three goal mark. So I'm going for Sydney by 16 points. What about you? I'm going for Sydney by nine. By nine points, relatively close in both cases. All right, that's the start of the Saturday card. Uh, there's a game down in Tassie this week. Let's talk about that one. One Stone Arena in Hobart, 2.10pm, sees North Melbourne up against Port Adelaide. Uh, North, 16th on the ladder, 2-6, and six, having lost the last six now. Uh, last Sunday lost uh, that Snorfest against St Kilda by 30 points. Port Adelaide fifth on the ladder, having won their last five. There's two different form lines. Six and two now after a uh, well, a bit of a thriller against Essendon. Five points was the winning margin. I'd argue they probably should have won by a bit more, though. Uh, north against Port. Historically, Port uh, do really well against the Roos as a rule. They've won eight of the last nine. Now, what about North Melbourne at their second home at Blundstone Arena? Well, they've won 17, lost 13 and drawn one. Uh, interestingly, though, well, it's probably predictably, though, given how they've gone, they've won only one of their last nine games at the venue. Port have played there only twice, so not uh, familiar to them, and they've won one and lost one. Uh, well, the thing that strikes me here, Rocket, is you've got two Teams on very different trajectories at the moment. Port have won five in a row and the Roos have lost six and can't kick a goal. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's not great for the for the Roos. From internally last week, they'll be happy that they were in the game really till halfway through the last quarter. They got to win a couple of goals or whatever it is, and then it, it blew out a little bit. But that's a positive for Clarkson. So he was happy to have that bit of uh a defensive shootout, that's the right phrase. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, to um, you know, actually stay in the game. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start the game well. Um, but Bell, I still call it Bell Reef, but uh, Blundstone Arena is known to be windy. It's uh, it's a, not a great place to play football. And um, that should suit the ruse early. There'll be plenty of mistakes. But I think their lack of ability to hold the ball and hit targets will eventually hold against them. I think uh, new ground for the for Port will be a bit of a shock for them, but I think their toughness around the ball, they've got some really good, solid uh, players. They've got ability to score, and, and really in the end, you can't see North getting close to them. Uh, just a quick word on personnel for either. Uh, Callum Coleman-Jones uh, should return from concussion. Protocols for the Roos, uh, young Powell likely to return. Um, the Port Adelaide Orazio Fantasia Memorial injury list, um, he's still on it, of course. Two to three weeks for Raz with uh, that quad injury. And apologies, mate, if you are listening to this. I don't mean to take the mickey, but uh, boy, you're injured a lot. Uh, Xavier Dersma, Um he gets injured a lot too, which is a shame because I love watching him play. Knee injury, seven to nine weeks for Dersma. 
Kane Farrell, cheekbone injury. Uh, he's missed two games, will be tested this week. Mitch Georgiati is out for the season, sadly, with a knee injury. Uh, Lysette was a late withdrawal last week uh, from the Sandful with a back injury. He faces a test. And, of course, the other um, significant out for the um, power is uh, thanks to the MRO, or sorry, Tribunal, uh, Junior Rioli um, has that suspension uh, hanging over his head. But uh, you still think Port has the personnel here to get the job reasonably comfortably, Rocket? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, and the other one is Dixon's playing, obviously injured and hampered. No, he's now he's doing a great job uh, as far as giving them a target. He just competes, um, whether it's a knee or an ankle. He he seems to be labouring a bit, but obviously pretty strong mentally to be able to keep uh, delivering what he's delivering. Um, so whether they put a tag on Shizel at, at halfback, um, he's one that's getting plenty of ball as is Zubel, um for North. Uh, Uniac's been back last week so they've got some talent Simkin they've got some talent and, and I know we spoke about list management last week I can see them being okay in two or three years time now they keep going to the draft uh, I think they'll get some talent in I think they'll be okay it's going to, now it's going to be a tough year for them this year but uh, overall I think Port Port will win this game going away in the end they're still in that situation the Roos where they just they can't afford any key players to be out really can they and uh, even lesser lights, like, I mean, losing Zeri, for example, with an ankle injury in terms of height and ruck stocks or whatever, that's cost them. Even Coleman Jones not having him with concussion. They do really need all hands on deck, as you say, until they can sort of bolster the, the list a bit by the draft. Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt there's you know, certain holes in the team. And Larkin and Zerhar aren't, aren't consistent enough either. You know, we, we talk about them in a really positive light, but... They've been there long enough to actually show more consistency than what they are at the moment. So they need to, I think they need to stand up a bit more for the team as well. But uh, overall, I think uh, Port have got too much talent, too much depth. And I think they'll win this by 35 points. 35 points for the power for you. Uh, Hobart, does that reduce the winning margin? Maybe a little bit. I'm going for, uh, yeah, I'll go for the 30s as well. 32 Points for me. So they're the first two games on Saturday. Uh, time uh, Twilight is the next time slot, and that one's in Melbourne. Saturday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon, 4.35pm at the MCG. That's the time in the venue. The combatants, Hawthorne and Melbourne. I've got this shocking desire to call this the Merger Cup, harking back to events from a long time ago now. But uh, good to see both these teams surviving merger attempts and winning premierships subsequently. Uh, Hawthorne, last on the ladder. Tough times for the Hawks at the moment. 18th, uh, 1-7 and uh, fixed up by Frio in Perth last week. 69 points. Melbourne a second, 6-2 and travelling pretty well. But uh, perhaps a little fortunate to get out, oh, not get out of jail, but a narrow win over Gold Coast. Up at uh, your old stomping ground at Carrara Rocket, five points. Hawthorne, Melbourne against each other. Uh, Melbourne, five wins and a draw uh, over the last five years. Hawthorne's last win against the Demons coming early in 2018. Uh, Hawks haven't been good at the MCG either. Uh, One and six at the G of late. And Melbourne at the G, uh, four wins, zero losses. This year, it was only 
Well, I think you'd think there's only one result possible in this game, wouldn't you? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it depends on your attitude. Have a look at Melbourne last week. They they got out to three or four goals, and you could, you know, I think full credit to the Suns for pointing back. But Melbourne relaxed, and that's that's my only question with Melbourne. They've got enough talent that they'll win those games, but when they play against really good sides, they just cannot afford to drop their intensity. And so I think they'll take that as a mentally take that as a loss last week that they need to they need to improve, which is not not great signs for the Hawks. Hawks are going to have weeks like they had last week. We, we you know we've mentioned that they're going to get belted every now and then, but I think there's still positive signs for them. I don't think they'll be too concerned about that. I think I think Sam Mitchell will change a few players around, change a few uh, positional changes around. Whether because you know Kachiski comes back and goes down back line, whether Sicily goes forward, there's there's some things he can do um, to experiment going forward. But overall, you you can't see the demons winning. Uh, sorry, you can't see the demons losing this. Their midfield, their rucks, um, uh, Van Royen's out, which is an odd decision by the. By the tribunal, I can't. I can't believe that he's out. But uh, I think you now that's their only concern is the consistency of their tools in the forward line, and can, and can they deliver every week? But overall, I think the demons easily. You know, one thing about Hawthorne, even and I did watch most of that game against Freo, but even in a game in which they've got smashed, there's something about the way Sam Mitchell has them playing, which even when they're getting belted, you're still seeing glimmers of hope mm-hmm. in, in yeah. passages of attractive. Yep. flowing, attacking football. And I reckon, uh, talking about game styles, that's pretty important for a side that's developing and losing far more than it wins, I reckon, to at least get those glimmers of positivity. And I really do see that with them. Yeah, it's the old argument, oh, you teach them defence first, which I think he's de- teaching them defence. But if you, And I think Clarkson's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to get them to play a bit more expansive, enterprising footy to touch the ball. To, it, it helps your confidence. Because if you're playing a negative defensive game and you're losing, it wears you down. And mentally, it just like your confidence can be sapped. So I think the way Hawthorne are playing, it might cost them at times, but the players are playing some positive football at times. They're touching the ball. Uh, they're able to display their skills and at the same time learning. So, yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I think they're on the right track. Another thing with them, uh, relatively clean uh, bill of health on the injury list. Um Josh Ward has a foot injury. He'll be out for a while, we think. Uh, Josh Morris and uh, Finn O'Hara both returned in the VFL last weekend. And two more available for this week that didn't play last week were Luke Bruce and Changoth Jath. Uh, so speaking about exciting, is a personification of that. Just ticking off on Melbourne's injuries. And you mentioned uh, Van Royen. Uh, of course, uh, surprising suspension, many are saying. Uh, good news to the Demons. Christian Salem has had the green light and will be available for selection for the first time this season this week. Uh, Tom McDonald also likely to be available after uh, missing last week with a sprained ankle. Um, Harrison Petty and Charlie Spargo uh, both returning from concussion protocols last week. Spargo via the VFL. So he's an important player for them as well. So, um, Pretty clean bill of health for the Demons as well. Both these sides with plenty of players available for selection. Uh, it's obvious we're both going to tip Melbourne. By how much do you, you think? Melbourne by 41 for me. 41. I'm going to go Melbourne 42. 
just to annoy you. <laughs> Actually, if you got annoyed by that, it'd be pretty sad. But uh, <laughs> all right, that's Saturday Twilight. Uh, two big ones coming up to talk about on Saturday evening. <laughs> 7.25pm on Saturday at the Gabba sees Brisbane taking on Essendon. The Lions have won their last five games now on a 6-2 after that uh, pretty impressive 26-point win over Carlton in Melbourne on the Friday evening. And Essendon lost a heartbreaker against Port Adelaide by just five points. Uh, they've lost their last three now, the Bombers, after that really good start to the season. Was always on the cards. They are ninth. And four and four. Uh, these sides have been pretty evenly matched for a while now. Their last 10 meetings have been split evenly, five and five. Uh, Essendon won the last meeting up at the Gabba, uh, where their record overall isn't great. They've won nine and lost 14. Uh, beat the Lions up there by 10 points last year, although an asterisk against that. Brisbane had about half their side out with injuries that day. So worth remembering. And Brisbane's record at uh, what has become known as the Gabatoire, well, very justified that uh, uh, nickname for the ground because since the start of 2019, they have won 42 of 50 games. Uh, pretty imposing record. And the other big plus for Brisbane at the moment, Rocket, is a very short injury list. Just two names on it. They are significant. Daniel Rich, calf injury, probably still two weeks away. Dane Zorko. Hamstring injury, probably still a week away, although apparently he's giving himself every chance of getting back and up for this uh, game. Daniel Rich didn't train early in the week, so you can count him out right now. I'll talk about the Bombers in a minute, but um, all systems go for Brisbane at the moment. They're looking pretty good. That was a good win over the Blues. Yeah, it was a good win. It probably ended up feeling like a bit more than it was the 24 points. But they, they look dangerous up forward. Zach Bailey returned to a bit of form. Obviously, Cameron kicked goals. They're so much better when Danaher and Hipwood get up the ground and use their athleticism. You know, Danaher kicked that one from 60. And then they can go back and, and play deeper. Won't they stay deep the whole time? I don't think they're, they're strong enough and good enough to be able to do that. I think they need to be up and about, up the ground, use their athleticism. Um, and they've got a good mix. Rayner can uh, – he didn't play that well last week, but he he's a player that can take a mark, as we know. I've mentioned Cameron before. So I think they're um, they're in really good form at the moment. Um, obviously, the Gabba, they play really well. Uh, I think the Bombers have been okay. They've had a – last week and the week before, they've had tough, tough games. Mm-hmm. They've got a tough game this week and probably lose it again. But they've been in, and then they've, their draw opens up a little bit. They've got Richmond, they've got the Eagles, and they've got North Melbourne. So if they, even if they lose this, um, it's not the end of the world. And I mentioned that last week. They're, they're showing some really good signs. They're staying competitive, they're staying in games, um, and there's some, you know, some really blue skies for the future, as we mentioned. They need a tall defender. They probably need another midfielder. But overall, I think, um, I think, uh, I think they've been really impressive. But I think the Lions at the Gabba. I mean, you can't go past them. They should win, and they do play well at home. I, I agree with you on the Bombers. Uh, frustrating, frustrating as it is to be playing okay and and not winning. Uh, I think they can't say this publicly, but I think privately they're pretty happy at the uh, the consistency this season. It's not a very hasn't been a very Essendon like trait in recent times, and uh, it's certainly a trait this year. And I think uh, that's a very big plus. 
Uh, the the downside here, of course, is this isn't a great matchup for them because you mentioned those two names, Danaher and Hipwood. This is a week you want your, your tall defenders. And Essendon just being um, savaged for <laughs> stocks of height and stocks of defenders. And they're going to really miss Jordan Ridley, who has concussion. Uh, he's going to miss at least one, if not more. And we saw the impact of that even in the game course of the game last week. Of course, Cole Langford having to be swung back and he'd been really effective up forward, and that that hurt them in terms of um, output on the scoreboard. So uh, the injury list of the Bombers, uh, look, others have longer, but in terms of what they possess, uh, they are significant names. So uh, like I said, Ridley, he's going to miss at least one or two. Zach Reid, uh, well, we just never seen him play. Still hamstring, still to be confirmed. James Stewart, well, I don't think we'll ever see him again. He's the Hollywood actor, isn't he? Foot injury to be confirmed. Peter Wright, still nine weeks. So they were talking about mid-season. That's looking a lot later than mid-season. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Mac Welfie, hamstring. That was a serious hamstring injury. He's still two weeks away. And Harrison Jones, this is what happens with Essendon. They'll drop players. They go back to the VFL and they get injured in the VFL. Now, Harrison Jones has hurt his back in the VFL last week, and that's a to be confirmed too. Jaden Laverde, shoulder injury, three to four weeks. So... You're talking about most of their tools there, and that most of them are defenders. They've just got nothing back there, and I can see Danaher and Hipwood having a bit of a picnic, to be honest. That could get ugly for them down there, couldn't it? I could, uh, but I think, uh, as I said, Brisbane can't fall for the trap of playing Hipwood and Danaher too close to goal. I think they're so much better when they get up the ground and get back, um, which will suit the defenders a bit as because they can be athletic with them. But Danaher will get his confidence up. Yeah, I, I think it'll be an issue, but I think it it's more in the middle of the ground. Uh, the, the depth, you now Neil's had a couple of bad ones, but I think he can bounce back. That, you know, Dunkley's playing really well. So they've got some really good signs in the midfield. And uh, I know Merritt and Parrish should be playing okay, but I think uh, I think overall the, you know, the lines easily, to be honest. All right, give us a margin. 25 points. Okay. Is that easily? I guess it's a okay. Oh, 35 then. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> is that all I've got to? Is that all I've got to do to get you to bump up the margin? All right. Uh, I, I reckon Essendon can maintain the honesty factor here and do another one of those, you know, gallant in defeat, annoying things. Uh, if you barrack for them, obviously, uh, I'm going for Brisbane to win that one by 22 points. Well, this is an interesting clash. 7.30pm, Marvel Stadium, Carlton against the Western Bulldogs. Carlton, the home side in this game. And uh, the natives are starting to get a bit restless down at uh, Princes Park. The Blues are eighth on the ladder. Their record now 4-3-1 and one after that 26-point defeat at the hands of Brisbane. And the Doggies starting to get on a roll. They've won three in a row now and are up to seventh on the ladder with a 5-3 record after that 15-point win over GWS. These two have an interesting history. They tend to alternate results, and that's been the case the last five meetings. One side's won, then the other one has won. Uh, the last meeting was back in round two of uh, last season, and the Blues won that by 12 points at the same venue. The Blues' record at Marvel Stadium is a lot better than it used to be. There are seven wins, three losses there since the start of last season. Equivalent time period for the Bulldogs. They have won 10 and lost four. 
Uh, both have uh, some key players on the injury list, which I'll talk about briefly. But again, this is um, one side struggling a bit, Rocket. Oh, well, they did beat West Coast by over 100 points of Blues, but uh, that was, wasn't was a good uh, performance by them against Brisbane. Uh, the Bulldogs against GWS did what they needed to. Um, they go into this with a fair bit more confidence, you'd think. Oh, for sure, the Bulldogs. Oh, it's, it's really a, it, it's really is the game of the round. Carlton have got a tough month ahead. They've got Collingwood, they've got Sydney in Sydney, they've got Melbourne, and they play Essendon. Mm-hmm. So this is a game that the, if they lose this, it really could be a, t- a really tough road ahead for them. So, um, And I think everyone's talking about, and we've spoken about it before, their lack of speed in the midfield. They're just very pedestrian. The other thing from a coaching point of view, I can't believe that – their coaching box, they don't make any moves. They leave it exactly the same and they're, they're heading, someone says they're six goals down, they didn't make a move. They didn't move. Cripps was being beaten by Dunkley. We're throwing to centre-half forward. Mm. Uh, throwing to full forward. So do something to put Kuno up the ground. Change their mix in the midfield. Put some speed in there. They just play, put put Kennedy on the ground earlier than what they did. Um, just, just change it up. Uh, but they don't change things up. They're just the same. So what they're what they're becoming is so easy to prepare against. So by not doing anything different, the opposition know that the way they're going to play, know what they're going to do. Um, so and the Bulldogs, they do change positions around. Beveridge does throw them around a little bit, maybe a bit too much at times. But <clears> I think they're they, they would have been super happy with their game last week. I, I think they showed the Giants can compete with most teams. Um, but uh, they got the job done. Uh, they've got some really good players in Norton and that in the forward line. Bonton Pelly's obviously the, close to the best player in the competition at the moment, him and Cameron. And he's just week in and week out. So, uh, he, I mean, he's a player that could go to Crips again like Dunkley did last week and actually tear him apart. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, the Blues come up with. But uh, on form and on talent there and the way they play is in style, I think uh, I think the Dogs will win this one. I watched Bontempelli pretty closely in that game last week, and and he is an absolute champion, isn't he? He's at that stage now where he can just conjure that extra 5 or 10% effort at, at precisely the moment his team needs it. I, I don't know why I'm thinking Nathan Buckley, but he's got that sort of Buckley-esque command over a game now, I reckon. There are very few players in footy who can do that, but he is one, I reckon, who can, and Voss is another one when he was playing, you know, it can just go, okay, they need me now. I'm going to step up. And he does. Yeah, he does. And he's, his disposal with the ball has really improved. Um, I, I think it's, I think he, I think the way they've done their list, like like losing Dunkley. So he's spending more time in the midfield and he'll have to now with Trelora. Um, but also getting a tall forward, he doesn't need to be played as a forward. And that's what I think they sacrificed him a bit. So I think he's, um, I think he's really um, grabbed that mantle and he's he's so hard to stop because he's so big. He's not quick, but he's quick in the mind um, and he, his ability to extricate himself out of, out of uh, clinches and stoppages is just fantastic. Um, you mentioned uh, we were talking about injuries before. I'll just run through some of the uh, Carlton ones. Uh, Cunningham, Marchback and Martin won't be returning until after the VFL buy this weekend, so that's not ideal for their preparation. Matt Owies has had a hamstring. He returned through the VFL last weekend. Uh, De Koning should be available this week after the concussion protocols, but 
uh, or Nick Newman suspended. You know, you're not talking about uh, a whole lot of cavalry coming back to help out uh, the dogs. Uh, one which might have gone under the radar a bit, young Sam Darcy. He's going to be on the sidelines for a while. Scans discovered a small hole in his lung, which yeah, has caused that, breathing yeah. issues. So yeah. um, all the best to young Sam Darcy. You mentioned Trelaw. He's out for at least the next, uh, well, at least fortnight, probably three, really, uh, given well, his... History. History, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no doubt they'll learn my side of safety there. Uh, Eugle Hagen uh, tweaked a groin last week, needs to prove his fitness. Uh, Josh Bruce pushing for a turn, a return, but it hasn't been completely ruled out this weekend. But um, you're looking at personnel, and the dogs certainly have the edge there. I don't know that I mentioned that alternate results thing, and I know you're not like a lot of coaching types, you're not huge on this history between the two teams thing because you have to discount it. But I don't know. It seems to count for something. I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues actually pulled out a really good one. But having said that, the Bulldogs are my flag tip. I look and feel stupid if I don't tip them, given they've won three in a row. Plus, my other hobby horse with them is once they hit form, they tend to maintain it. So uh, this is a game that on form and capabilities, they should win. Uh, and I think they will win it. I'm going for the Bulldogs narrowly, though. I reckon the Blues can give them a nudge. I'm going for the Bulldogs by six points. What about you? Yeah, I think the Blues will bounce back as uh, performance. They've, they've copped a lot of criticism. I think teams who get criticised in the media do bounce back. Um, and Trelaw will be a loss, as in speed through the lines. Um, so that'll even it up a bit. But I'm, I'm like you. I think uh, the Dogs in a close one. I'll go by nine points. Nine points. Uh, all right, uh, let's turn our attention to Sunday, which is, in fact, Mother's Day. Well, I'd like to say uh, in advance, happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there for Sunday. Just thinking with um, that Mother's Day football, I can remember a game, I'm going way back here, it's 1991 when Collingwood was in the midst of the worst premiership hangover of all time. They got belted by Richmond, who were then pretty ordinary, and they called it the Mother's Day Massacre at the MCG. It was in front of a big crowd. Somewhere along the line, Mother's Day seems to have become more important and people stop going to the footy because now they make sure they schedule not high-drawing games and there's only two of them. So I don't know. Have our mums become more important to us, Rocket? They're more important than going to the footy. Where have our priorities gone? <laughs> and since the, the time, you know, one early, um, which is interstate, um, and the one um, here in Melbourne is late in the day, so you can have lunch and do all those sort of things and, and, and spoil your mum, which I think is a nice, a nice gentle touch from the AFL. Of course, it is. Uh, unlike the AFL, to be touchy feely on social issues. Uh, all right, as you say, an early start, one ten pm Eastern Standard Time. So that would be oh, how's my maths? Twelve to one over there. Twelve forty in Adelaide, or nineteen seventy six culturally. Uh, no, no, I, that's not true at all. Why did I say that? Apologies to all our South Australian friends. Adelaide Oval, one ten pm Eastern Standard Time. The Crows taking on St Kilda. Uh, Adelaide slipped out of the eight now. Um, they are in 10th spot at 4-4 after uh, losing to the Cats, 26 points. Far from disgrace, though. Uh, solid effort indeed. And St Kilda, third on the ladder, 6-2 after beating North Melbourne, uh, by 30 points, and if you didn't see the highlights of that game, uh, don't, because uh, there were none. It was terrible. Adelaide, St Kilda, how's the history there? Well, the Crows have won 10 in a row 
between those two now. Oh, sorry, did win 10 in a row between 2012 and 2019. St Kilda, though, won two of the last three. And last meeting, round 10 last year, won by 21 points. Uh, the Crows have won eight out of nine at Adelaide Oval since the start of 2022. Uh, St Kilda's record at this ground is shocking. Uh, just three wins and 12 losses. Although it has picked up, they lost their first 10 games there, and since then they've gone three and two. Well, um, Adelaide met their match in a, a side in the Cats that have been strong defensively historically. But as we were talking about earlier, uh, this year at least, no one does defence like the Saints do. Are they going to try and make this one a nil-all draw, do you think, Rocket? Oh, no doubt about that. Uh, they'll defend and get numbers back. And if Adelaide can stop their exit, as in Port Adelaide did when they played them after half time, when they went man-on-man, so it didn't allow St Kilda any exits. Um, I think the Crows, another young side, if they can know that the pressure's coming, the effort's going to come and have the mental capacity to cope with that and not get frustrated with the numbers back. I think they can win this game. Last week was the start of a really tough month for Adelaide. They go to Geelong, St Kilda, then they go to Mar Stadium to play uh, the Bulldogs and then they play Brisbane at home. So they've got a really tough month. Uh, last week was a good performance. They need to win, I would have thought, at least two of those four to make the eight. If they can win two of these four and I think this is the one, and the one that probably against the Bulldogs, even though it's tough to go to Ballarat. So I, um, oh, yeah, another one that's uh, my gut feel, I'm going to go with Adelaide. Um, I'm going to be not conservative, Rowan. I um, I think they can get the job done. I think with their forward line, and I think they can uh, test, uh, as long as they can stay in physically the whole game and stay competing, which they've shown they can do, um, I think they can win this game. Now, that's annoying because I was about to make a big production of throwing my conservatism out the window and <laughs> tipping the crows. <laughs> now I'm going to have to tip St Kilda just to be contrary. No, I'm not. Uh, no, I, I think the crows absolutely can win this one. And also, you know, having played a pretty good effort down at Geelong, imagine, you know, being solid in defeat down there and then coming back home. I just reckon there's a psychological boost that will come into play. They know... They were gritty enough down at Geelong. Now they're back on their home turf. Smell of it. We can have a really good win here against a, a respected and decent performing opponent. Just think that'll give them a real bunk up. Just mentioned some personnel issues. Uh, now, one worry for the Crows, Nick Murray uh, in concussion protocols after a knock in the second quarter and that loss against um, the Cats. Uh, that's about it for them, though, in terms of serious injury. Oh, sorry, Shane McAdam, the other one, quad injury. Uh, he's still a few weeks away. The Saints, well, they've had a really long injury list, but they are staying to come back, and a big one for them, the potential return of spearhead Max King uh, after a shoulder injury, hasn't played any footy at all. Could he actually come straight back into that senior lineup? Ooh, gee, that would, that's a really interesting Selection poser. Would you bring him straight back or play him in the VFL? Ooh, I because he had the shoulder, but then he did his hamstring, and that's why he was out for so long. I would probably bring him in the VFL, give him a run and control his game time, um, therefore not have the intensity and the pressure of an AFL game. They've got a, a couple more of longer-term injuries coming back too. Uh, Jimmy Webster recovered from a broken cheekbone. 
And Zach Jones, another forgotten man, Achilles injury, which has nagged him early all year. He's set to play his first game too. Though you'd be pretty confident that one would be at the in the VFL. So Max King, will they or won't they? We'll watch that one. Yeah, very interesting selection poser for Ross Lyon and the St Kilda coaching panel. Anyway, back to uh, my uh, daring selection gambit, which you stuffed up. Uh, I am <laughs> sorry. <Mark. laughs> That's going to be the highlight of this podcast. Uh, I am going for the Crows. I, I just got a vibe about this one. I reckon they can win. It'll be tight. It'll be low scoring, but I can just see. I don't know. I can see Darcy Fogarty or Big Tex Walker kicking the the winning goal in the dying stages. I think it's going to be very – I'm going for a single-figure margin. I'm going to go for the Crows to win this one by four points. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I'll go for the Crows. I'll go for a little bit more. I think if they can get their accuracy right, I think I'll win by 11 points. Round nine wraps up at the MCG with a twilight game, I guess, uh, for those who've uh, had the Sunday lunch with mum. Uh, 4.40 p.m., the start for Collingwood taking on GWS. Uh, the Pies sitting proudly, top spot on the ladder, 7-1 after a pretty good 29-point win over the Swans last week. GWS 13th with a 3-5 record after uh, a pretty reasonable effort against the Western Bulldogs in Canberra, 15-point loss. Uh, Collingwood GWS... 7-6, the record overall to the Pies. Uh, six out of the last eight games between these two teams have been decided by 16 points or less. So history wow. would suggest it's going to be tighter than people might think. Collingwood, the MCG, well, we speak about fortresses. We don't often speak about the MCG as a fortress of teams, but it is to the Pies. They have won 15 of their last 16 appearances on the G. Um, or do they play anywhere else, the sceptics would suggest. And the other game in that run, they lost by only six points, and that, of course, was the qualifying final against Geelong last year. Uh, GWS record, the MCG, pretty ordinary. Six wins and 20 losses. Uh, I'll get to personnel shortly, but uh, good win by the Pies and a reasonable effort by uh, your second team, the Giants, Rocket. Yeah, the Giants, really, even the ones they've lost, they've been close enough too to... To be competitive, that's, that's, that's the right phrase. Uh, they've shown a little bit, and they, they did it without Toby Green last week. Um, he'll come with injuries whether he gets back. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't pick against Collingwood. I think it'll be it'll be a typical Collingwood game, this one. It'll be tough and tight and close enough for three-quarter time, and I think they'll they'll actually go away with the game and win it comfortably in the end. But the, but the Giants have, um, you know, they've shown some good signs. And... Uh, uh, you know, the Kelly played well last week. Tom Green's becoming a star of the competition. Um, did exceptionally well. Second half last week on Bontempelli and uh, probably probably shaded him in the second half, which is a great effort. Uh, but overall, you think Collingwood, my check a good game last week, kicking five goals. Uh, Sydney changed their game around. They didn't want to have a, the, the fast turnover, so they played the uh, kick-mark game, um, which they didn't execute extremely well, but... It, it did keep them in the game and gave them a really good chance at halftime about a winner. But overall, you think the Pies are going to win this? Just quickly on Tom Green, I watched him closely as well. He's impressive, isn't he? But I can't sort of work out what actually defines him as a player. What's his uh, greatest strength, do you think? Oh, contestable. He's a big man. He's not quick. 
Uh, he's big, isn't he? He's six in the old thing. He's six foot two or three, I think. Like yeah. he's really tall. Man, maybe maybe even a bit more. But he's, he's really solid. But his ability, his clean hands, he's able to keep obviously keep his feet, but keep his. Uh, he doesn't get buffeted off the ball, and he just wins the ball. He's he's a really good contested ball player, and his ability to be able to distribute by hand. So he's uh, and he knows where to go to get it. So no, he's a he, you know, he's a really good player. I bet he's about the same size as his granddad, who was a ruckman. Yeah, my granddad. <laughs> <laughs> Times change, aren't they? <laughs> they certainly do. Well, Bontempelli's great evidence of that, isn't he? Yeah. Um, let's talk about injuries. Uh, Darcy Cameron, another week away for the Pies. Uh, still a TBC to be confirmed on Jeremy Howe with that broken arm. Um, Pat Lipinski, or Private Lipinski, as uh, Mark Fine used to call him. It does sound like a character out of Goma Pile or F Troop or something, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> still about a month away with a shoulder injury. Dan McStay, still about a month away with a finger injury. Um, Freddie Krueger missed, uh, that's not Freddie, Nathan Krueger missed Sunday's win over the Swans with a rib injury. Um, I've got to say just quickly, no, I'm not going to do it, but how well is Frampton going in the ruck? No, no, he's doing a really good job. They'd be thrilled with what he's doing. He competes well. He's winning. He's... he's uh, his share of hitouts, he goes forward every now and then takes a mark. So I would think the way he's competed, once Cameron comes back, does he stay as the backup ruck or do they have enough they will or should have confidence the way he plays as being another tall defender for them? So I, I think he's uh, earned his right to stay in the team once Cameron comes back. Yeah, I've heard so many people make that gag about showing them the way in the last few weeks. <laughs> it's a pity he was a one-hit wonder, Peter Frampton, because there's yeah. just so many g- potential gags if anyone knew any more of his songs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> CWS, um, uh, fairly lengthy injury list for them. Of course, the massive one there is Toby Green uh, with an ankle injury. Uh, they're, they're being cagey about it. Got to pass a fitness test later in the week. Uh, but you reckon you reckon he'd probably be right. He was only a late withdrawal, wasn't he? Uh, he was, yeah. Was so, yeah, look, you think more likely to play than not. Uh, the other big one for them, of obviously, Sam Taylor, marvellous key defender and uh, serious hamstring injury, probably still eight weeks away. So that's going to hurt. Um, Collingwood's forward line, pretty productive. Brady Mychek, uh terrific last week. Geez, a... An honest toiler, Brady. Love watching him play. He's uh, he's he's great. He's like a, I mean this in the nicest possible way. He's like a suburban footballer playing at AFL level, but he just does everything well. Yeah. What do I actually and mean by that? He's just there's nothing spectacular he's a, about he's a, him. He's an old stuff. He's a footballer's footballer. If that's yeah, right, that if you know what I mean. Yeah, but he's thinking like from a coaching point of view. He just competes. Like he had bad games. He's had guns. He's had two and three possessions, but. He's still in there competing. He, he works hard to get the front spot. He's quite a smart player, but he puts pressure on. He's a bit of that undersized key. So he he be he works so much better with a if he had a key target like Johnson's taking that over. But um, when he was the the key himself, he's just too short to be able to do that. But he's mm. but he's developed himself into a really valuable player. No, he he he, he he's become a really good AFL player. That thing about plugging away, I've noticed this with him quite a bit. He'll have games where he's really quiet, but he's still capable of bobbing up in the last quarter and kicking a couple of quick goals. He doesn't lose heart, you know? No, and he doesn't depend just on marking the ball. Like, he kicked that one over his head. He'll kick a soccer goal. He'll kick a snap around the body. He'll, he'll row. Like, he, he's got all aspects to the game, to his repertoire. It's a mark. He's got good strength. He'll play in front. He's good on the ground. 
he'll he'll scrounge a goal here and there, and he, and the fact he's always involved um, from a coaching point of view, they would love him. Well, uh, all chugging along pretty nicely for Collingwood at the moment. I think we both agree we expect them to win this one. Um, margin. 25 points. Uh, yeah, I'm going to up the ante a little bit. I think they can win by a bit more. I'm going to go for the Pies by 36 points. So uh, that brings us to the conclusion of round nine. And uh, any Mother's Day messages you want to send before we go, Rocket? Happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there. You do a great job. And uh, where all the kids, um, and I love my mum, we all love your mum. So um, so keep on punching. And uh, I saw your better half wander through the foreground there uh, uh, as we were recording earlier. So happy Mother's Day to you, Wendy, if you are listening. Uh, is she a devoted fan of this podcast, Rocket? <laughs> uh, she's not a big footy fan, so I don't think she listen to, to anything. If I've got to watch a game, I've got to go in the other room and watch it. I'm not allowed to watch it on my team. No, no, that's actually a good thing to keep relationships alive. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, no, on a serious note, happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope your team gets a win over the weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week.